everybody. I'm Karen Hartglass. You're listening to It's All About Food. Thank you for joining me. I have with me today Yesenia Curry, who has a new cookbook coming out, Sweet and Savory Life, Simple, Flavor-Filled, Plant-Based Recipes to Nourish Mind, Body, and Spirit. Yesenia Curry has followed a plant-based diet for over 13 years. Her heart for healthy living is modeled by her commitment to honoring her temple and treating it with the utmost care and reverence in order to live a full, vibrant, sweet, and savory life. Yesenia successfully completed a holistic nutrition and culinary training to further her knowledge and incorporate the healing benefits of conscious cooking. In 2014, she became a certified yoga instructor to deepen her daily practice and help support others on their mind-body wellness journey. She and her husband, Roger, have traveled to over 45 countries to date, and those travels have inspired many of her creations in the kitchen. Yesenia is from upstate New York and currently resides in Los Angeles. Sweet and Savory Life is her first cookbook. Welcome, Yesenia. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Karen. You're most welcome. Now, I understand you're in Portugal right now, but normally you live in Los Angeles? Yes, that's correct. Right. Okay. We've been traveling for quite some time now. So. And that's your husband and your two children? Uh, just my husband. So our two children are uh, 21 and 23. So they're young, they're young adults. And- okay. They're not young. I got the impression <laughs> from your book that they were young. But maybe yeah, that was yeah. from 10 years ago when you started right. this journey. Okay. Started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good for you. I, I kind of wanted to talk about your travel and how you got onto the plant-based movement before we jump into the cookbook. Okay. Is that sure. okay? Okay, yeah. cool. You have a little bit of an introduction in the book about your plant-based journey, how it was for health reasons. I'm right. kind of curious, what was your background with food growing up culturally socially and what were you eating that got you to ultimately flip well i've always been a foodie i'll start there i've always (laughs) enjoyed food um i come my mother's side of the family is puerto rican and so we've always had a really good flavorful food um Holidays were always really exciting because there were so many good things to eat from uh, arroz con candules, that's rice and beans, to, um, Mm. you know, so many different things. I've always had an affinity for good tasting food. Um, As I got older um, and after we had the kids, I started, you know, you go through your body, goes through changes, you start to feel different. And um, I've always tried to uh, stay, especially when we, when we had kids and they were small, I've, I've tried to stay away from processed foods in general, even before we went plant-based. Um, but they can be hard to avoid because <laughs> they're designed, right? They're designed to be addictive. They taste really good. Um, I started to feel, I started feeling sluggish in my body. I started to, um, I was just tired. I I had a lot of digestive and gut issues um, that didn't, you know, was trying different probiotics and um, just ultimately felt like I needed to make a change. I was like, all right, I'm I'm tired. I want to feel my best in my body. And I wasn't really sure how to do that. 
and the timing of, I talk about in the book about um, seeing an episode of the Oprah Winfrey show. And it was actually uh, an episode where Alicia Silverstone was on and she was mm. talking about the new book, The Kind Diet. Yeah. Yeah. And that was my initial introduction to, um, to veganism and vegetarianism. And I was intrigued by it. And I bought the book and I started to do, I'm like a researcher. So I started to do a deep dive into what all it means. I wanted to do it right. I wanted to, um, to have diversity so that, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't malnourished, you know, eating Oreos and chips and pasta and calling myself, you know, I could call myself a vegan technically, but I wouldn't be a healthy one. <laughs> so oh, there are many uh, pe people who are vegan that don't eat healthfully. That's for sure. Right, right, right. And that's, that's an important distinction because everybody does it for different reasons. But for me, um, I, it was, it was health focused. It was health central. I wanted, I wanted to use food to feel better in my body and, and to, to, to live you know, to live really well. And I wanted to, uh, and I wanted to pass that off to the kids. I wanted to be able to create that legacy for them so that they could see it, model it, embody it, and, um, you know, planting the seeds for them so that they can, so they know what to do, not just when they're in my home, but, you know, now that they're adults and in their own homes and with their own families. And you grew up in New York? So I was born in Amsterdam, New York, upstate New York. Mm. Mm -hmm. Amsterdam, um, New York. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we moved around a lot. So um, I've lived in Virginia and Florida, and then we, we settled down in California last. Mm -hmm. Well, you're very fortunate to have a husband who has supported you in this journey. Yes. So I'm just giving a shout out to Roger. <laughs> to thank <laughs> him for being with you, because... Yes. It's very challenging in our society to make this change. It's yes. a little easier these days because it's becoming more popular, trendy. I hate to use those words because I don't I I don't think it's a trend. Right. Uh, I think it's here to stay. Mm -hmm. uh, but when our partners aren't with us, it adds a whole nother very level, big level of difficulty. So sure. you were lucky. Yeah, I know it. Trust me. <laughs> so many people along throughout the years that have been like, man, you know, to, to have that kind of support. Because like you said, I mean, he could have. And I understood in the beginning, I said, listen, I had no expectations that he would want to. And I was cool with that. I was cool with making, you know, separate meals, you know, doing mm -hmm. what I need to do. And he was like, no, that's foolish. We we're all we're all going to do this together. So. I also want to say. For everyone out there who's listening who might have challenges with their partner, and I wasn't thinking of saying this before, but it just hit me, so I'm just going to throw it out there. Yeah. Relationships are challenging. Relationships require compromise. And if you know what is going to please your partner, if you know that going along on a journey to better health and better nutrition is going to make your partner happy. Why not do it? Okay. And, and that's not obvious for some people, you know, that they, they, there's pushback, there's resentment. And I don't think it's related to the diet. I think it's related to who you are and your relationship. And you need to take a look at that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I can agree with that for sure. Right. Let's move on. Okay. So let's jump into the cookbook. 
sweet and savory life, simple, flavorful, plant-based recipes to nourish mind, body, and spirit. Now, I was a little bit amused in the beginning by your introduction, and I, I want to explain it because I, I got something from it. I learned something from it. You have to understand, I've been a vegan for 35 years and vegetarian for longer. I have seen the change over the decades. And so when I see somebody make a statement that I think, oh, that's not true in my world. I realize we're all on different journeys and we all have different perceptions and we all see things happen at a different pace. So your discovery may have come later in time than mine, but it's the same, just at a different place in time. Okay, so what do I mean by that? I became vegan in 1988. I was actually um, working as an engineer and I was in Israel at the time. I had made my choice to go vegan there because I knew there'd always be hummus. And we're going to get back to talking about hummus because there's a recipe in your book. (laughs) I knew that they understood food and the separation of ingredients. So it was really a, a, a good and fun place to make that change. Plus I was eating by myself a lot. So there was nobody to harass me. So I made, I gave up my dairy and eggs because I was already not eating meat at that time. And it was a good thing. Um, And then I was living in California in the nineties. And then I moved to France. And I have to say that you could find soy milk and rice milk in many stores. Now we had a lot of health food stores back then. And as I was thinking of this, it was kind of sad in some ways because there were a lot of health food stores and there are still health food stores in the United States and all over the world. And then they became bigger supermarkets. I don't know if you remember these like Bread and Circus or Wild Oats, but these were supermarkets that Whole Foods ended up gobbling up. We have like a monopoly now. Um, And there are still a few little health food stores trying to make it, but Whole Foods took over. And to me, that was kind of a sad thing because Amazon bought Whole Foods and it's never been the same. Right. And I sigh for a moment. But (laughs) the point is you could get plant milks in the 90s. Yeah. But you had you had to want to find them. And if you weren't thinking about them, you didn't see them. They weren't there. See them, right. You're blind. Exactly. Yeah. Tofu was available. Tempeh was available. Mm hmm. While I want to think this movement towards eating plant-based foods is a beautiful thing and it's growing and the capitalistic entrepreneurs see that as an opportunity and they want to make more vegan foods for people because there's money in it. Sure. I also think that maybe we haven't gone in the best direction because back in the 90s, most of us who were doing this were not eating the junk food because there wasn't a lot of vegan junk food out there. Yes. Now we are overwhelmed with vegan (laughs) junk food. Okay. That's not necessarily a good thing. That's just a little background, a little history. Uh (laughs) And now we have all kinds of plant milks. I don't know. I'm kind of like on a, um, I I don't want to sound like I'm complaining, but I'm having all of these kind of reflections. And I love soy milk, just soybeans and water. And Mm -hmm. there are so many plant milks out there, rice and, and almond and oat. Yeah. And the soy milk in restaurants is kind of disappearing. Most restaurants that are offering um, vegan offerings and plant milks, they're offering oat milk and almond milk. And I want my good old fashioned 
high protein source, <laughs> no anything, just soybeans and water. Okay. I've noticed that. Yeah. That is my commentary and partial rant <laughs> <laughs> on veganism over the last 30 years or so and plant milks. Mm -hmm. So there we have it. I'm also kind of curious, I noticed your recipes, a lot of people, when they make a cookbook, their culture influences them tremendously. And that's mm -hmm. kind of fun because we're all bringing our culture and diversity into veganism because vegan is everywhere and it, and it can be all cuisines and all flavors. Right. So your cookbook features a lot of coconut milk, a lot of coconut oil, um, cardamom coriander and i'm wondering is that from your original cuisine or just something you fell into that you like uh something i fell into that i liked we used uh so growing up in uh, like on my mother's side of the family the puerto rican side of the family there was a lot of they did use a lot of cumin uh cumin coriander um in terms of uh spices but everything I, I got I'd exposed to it um, years ago, just trying to figure out how I can incorporate flavor and also nutrition into my food um, without just relying solely on onions and garlic, right? Because mm. those, those are big flavor agents in food that, sure. that I love. So no shade against onions and garlic, but to give it a little bit more dimension and, and, and to make the meals a little bit more dynamic, um, that was important for me. Um, so yeah, I felt, and I fell into, when I started, I got curious about, um, Ayurveda in terms of how it relates mm. to cooking, um, and how it can bring balance into my life. And so I was, so I opened myself up a little bit more when I started doing that, um, to, okay, how can I incorporate these different spices and how they can affect the flavor, uh, the end result of the food, so. Well, I'm a big fan of coriander and cardamom and there are a handful of recipes you have that have cumin in them and usually they go together, mm -hmm. but leaving the cumin out mm -hmm. with just cardamom and coriander gives really a lovely, delicately flavored experience in sweet and savory food. So Agreed. I really like those spices. Definitely. Me too. Those are the top. Okay. So funny thing in your book, when you were talking about smoothies and your children who are now grown up. Yes. Right. <laughs> was all the fun things you can hide in a smoothie. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So <laughs> many. Listen, so you I'm... mentioned peas and then there was cauliflower. I noticed in your smoothie. Right. Yeah. I've, um, I've liked to put sometimes frozen spinach in a mm -hmm. smoothie it does make it green but if you add chocolate then you don't know what's in there <laughs> right right exactly any listen <laughs> any way that you can get it <laughs> yeah and that's a beautiful thing about smoothies and beans are a great thing to put in smoothies too mm -hmm. it adds a little creaminess and and I, i'm a big fan of just beans in general because they bring all our macronutrients in Great ratios, protein, carbohydrate, and fat. It's all there right in the simple bean. Boom. Agreed. Yes. And people are surprised, I think, by, you know, those kinds of additions. They seem a little weird and foreign. Things like beans or, or you know, frozen ve vegetables and like with smoothies, you know, but. Yeah. Right. And they can taste really good. 
Well, I mean, there are some that will tell you to avoid a smoothie because it can be so sweet. Mm -hmm. And and when we're consuming a smoothie, I like to say to kind of chew it in your mouth to savor it and not guzzle it. Right. So because there's digestion happening in the mouth. But when we have a smoothie, we do, for the most part, want to add some of these non-sweet components, vegetables, mm -hmm. and it makes them easier to go down. Unless you're making, you know, a dessert, sweet treat, maybe a frozen summer thing with berries and plant sure. or something, right? But a right. smoothie, I think a smoothie should have vegetables in it. That's my opinion. You've heard it here. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get a little round, a little bit of protein, some fiber. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, the next thing is you mentioned that sometimes you make almond milk. And uh, I was smiling because you wrote that you soak the almonds and mm -hmm. you can, and you peel off the skins. Mm -hmm. Now I do that when I make, um, I like to make an almond ricotta mm -hmm. and use it for a lot of different things. Okay. Um, and I just haven't met many people that like to remove the skins on almonds. That can be a meditative, but a little time consuming yeah. process. Yeah. It is, it is meditative, right? It's fun. I did, um, initially I would go, I would go with the skin. I would soak them, but I would do, I would leave the skins on because I sure. didn't do anything. And then I, and then I heard about the skins off being, um, better for digestion. And then also in terms of the, the end result, the consistency of it. And I was like, hmm, okay. And I tried it and, and yeah. And so that's just the way that I've done it ever since. So, but yeah, it can be, it, you have to, you, you do have to settle, set, a, set aside a little bit of time for yourself. <laughs> yeah. Use it as a meditative practice. Some meditative time. But you can make almond milk very easily by soaking raw almonds and blending them and then kind of filtering out the skins with a, a nut milk bag or some other um, right. cheesecloth or something. And that works. And I haven't done it much recently, but I used to like to take that fibrous stuff and make like a yeah, like a tuna salad or something with it, or all kinds of fun things. So yeah, either yeah, way, listen, I grew up waste not waste not want not, and so it, right, like so, yeah. I was always trying to find okay, I how can I use this? How can I repurpose this? So you can use it in desserts, like you said, in sweet and savory desserts or food. So okay, now I'm gonna pick some recipes that popped out to me as yummy and uh i like the sun-dried tomato stuffed mushrooms yes one of my favorites stuffed mushrooms used to be a thing decades mm -hmm. ago probably before your time mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh it was always like a breading inside the mushrooms a seasoned yeah. breading or something Right. And then I started making my own stuffed mushrooms. And what I would do, people would say, oh, these are really good. What do you stuff them with? And I would say mushrooms. So, <laughs> oh, so I'll take dice them up and then pour, put them in yeah. there. So I'd have the cap and I'd, I'd chop up the stems with seasonings and shove them back in the mushrooms. I love like, that. Yeah. No waste. Right. Put some <laughs> herbs in there. I like it. I like yeah. that. But sun-dried tomatoes are very yummy. And, um, I'm trying to remember there's a kind of a cheesy thing going on in there. Is there yeah, not? There's like a cashew cream sauce in there. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's some pine nuts. I love pine nuts. It's it's really, really flavorful. It comes together really nicely. Great part. Okay. Another one 
is the roasted Brussels sprouts. And it's just funny because you wrote how you didn't like them as a kid and nobody liked them as kids. Right. I, I, I don't think that nobody knew how really knew how to cook them well. So it was like, no, Brussels sprouts are they were they were like the the marketed as like the the horrible vegetable, I think. Yeah. But then somehow they had a renaissance, a Brussels sprouts renaissance. Somebody figured out how to roast them with balsamic vinegar. And all of a sudden, Brussels sprouts became a popular thing. Yes. And right. that's good for all I'm, of us. I'm glad for that because I definitely, I, I just, it was literally, I think I mentioned it in the book too. We were just at a random restaurant and I saw a plate go by that was going to another table. And I was like, mm. and I was like, and I was like, you know what? I said, it's been a long time because we would always tell the kids, even if they to try things several times over, not to just decide that because they didn't like it the first time they tried it. That they shouldn't, they should never. That uh, okay, it's I, it's a given. I don't like this thing, but try it several times as they get older, because your taste buds change. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, I think I'm gonna give it a go and see. And I was like, okay, I need to. Not only do I like it, now I need to figure out how to make this in you know at home and and keep it in regular rotation. Well, not even that our taste buds change. A lot of um, food manufacturers know you have to introduce a product at least eight times for mm. people to get to know the flavors and decide if they like it. Some foods you don't naturally un understand right away. So you have to try new foods so your brain can process them and, and then decide, oh yeah, I do like this. Yeah, right. Okay, so you don't have um, balsamic vinegar in your Brussels sprouts. Mm -mm. You have sesame oil, ginger, garlic, coriander, there's that coriander, mm -hmm. and uh, some other things, and just, it's just really yummy. It's, the, the flavors are, it's delicious. And then another one I highlighted was your coconut ginger turmeric rice. Mm, yes. And uh, just a great flavorful way to make rice. I, I, I tend to make my grains plain and just okay. make a big pot of them and have them for the week sure but sometimes <laughs> when i feel adventurous i i like to season them up and it's just like oh yeah <laughs> nice it's like it's food is like in my mind layers and so i think when you know it's almost like uh layers on a canvas and so when you know like you said it's easy especially if you know if you, you know, time is of the essence and you have to, and you're, or you're meal prepping at the beginning of a week to just throw a pot of rice or quinoa together and then just use it to kind of fill in your food. But uh -huh. the coconut, ginger, turmeric rice, when you layer it with some, with a nice saucy bean on top or mm. that's really good. <laughs> now, this is an audio podcast, but I want to describe Yasinia's face as she described that rice. It was just this look of peace and paradise yes. and comfort <laughs> and heaven <laughs> all it's, in one it's face. so true. I'm, when I talk about it, I visualize <laughs> it and I can, I can feel it and I can taste it. So yes, it's very experiential. <laughs> okay. Loaded nachos. Mm. Nachos is a major event all over this country and yes. vegan restaurants are 
jumping on the wagon and many places, at least vegan restaurants that I've been to have nachos on the menu. We just had them yesterday at uh, Peace Food in Manhattan. Have you, question for you, have you found um, them to be overwhelmingly disappointing at different places that you have nachos at? Or do you usually enjoy the nachos that you- It's mixed. It's definitely mixed. Mm -hmm. Um, The Peace Food is pretty good. Um, we have, um, I never pronounce this right. Ja 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 uh, is, a, is a chain. They have three, I think, right now in Manhattan. And they okay. make some really good nachos. Um, we used to have the Candle Cafe, Candle 79, and, and um, that. Okay. Candle West. They're, they all disappeared before the pandemic, unfortunately. But they started in the late 80s, early 90s, I believe. And mm-hmm. towards the end, they had nachos on their menu. That was really good. Nice. Uh, anyway, so there were some good and then there were some disappointing. But yeah. I noticed something. Now, I mentioned you use coconut in many recipes. I didn't count how many of your recipes had coconut, but a lot of them did either coconut they- milk, coconut oil, coconut butter, or the coconut chips, or the shredded coconut. You like coconut. I, I do coconut. <laughs> okay. I love the but flavor. But you add coconut milk to the beans. Tell me about that. Yes. Ooh. Have you not had coconut milk in your beans? No. Um, I mean, I I personally I don't use a lot of fat and I try not to cook with oil. I'm, I tend more towards the SOS free, salt, oil, sugar free. So that's me. But when I want to treat, it's mm-hmm. easy. I open a can of coconut milk and anything with it is just amazing. Okay. So tell me about coconut milk in your beans. How did that get started? And you can do to your point, you can all, you can always sub it with water if that's something that you're conscious about and you want to, you know, to swap out, but it just, again, to bring it back to that layer, those layers of flavors, it, it adds um, a much creamier consistency to it and a flavor profile that really plays up the black beans and the whole nacho setup in general. It's it's really good. It's a treat. <laughs> okay, well, I might have to try that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you've and had another, you've had. had good. I'm sorry. You first. I was going to say that you brought up uh, nachos. I've had, um, uh, like you said, it's sort of like a, a staple, especially in American culture, like nachos and around games, like Super Bowls and things like that. And I started to note, like, I feel the same way you said, where it's half and half in terms of um, I've been to places that have had some really amazing ones and very underwhelming ones. And I didn't really care much for um, the, uh, I'm not going to, I don't want to name brands, but certain uh, commercial processed cheeses that are that would be melted down and they, and they didn't really taste good. They didn't really look good. And I'm with you. Yeah. So I, so I wanted to do something that, that really, you know, came together really nice and was, and I, I enjoy a good creamy sauce, a good cheesy, creamy sauce. So, yeah. I'm going to dwell on that for a moment. So I was talking about vegan history a while back and at the beginning of this podcast. And so we've seen the evolution of vegan cheese and vegan cheese was absolutely horrific in the late 90s, early 2000s. We had soy-based cheese, rice-based cheeses. They were horrible, Yeah, (laughs) but they were there. And it really gave veganism a bad rap, I think. 
Yeah, I think so. I agree. And now we've come to a place where the vegan cheese has been elevated and many are being made now like authentic dairy cheeses with Mm -hmm. a slow process with enzymes and growing those probiotics and those bugs in the cheese that give it a flavor. Even in Manhattan, we have at Essex Market in the Lower East Side, it's a big open air um, like warehouse style with all kinds of food vendors and they have a cheese shop, a vegan cheese shop. Okay. It's amazing. Nice. And so, yeah, some places use vegan cheese that is not very good and maybe they add a little too much of it. And then some, it's so much easier, I think, to make a cashew-based sauce or another sauce that goes on the nachos. It's because it's like, you don't even have to melt it. It's already there, melted. Right, Right, exactly. And it tastes so much better. (laughs) Yes. And it's cleaner. Yes. Yes. So praise nachos. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Mac and Jack. Mm. Uh, Everybody loves mac and cheese, but this is a, a really innovative spin with jackfruit giving it a fishy tuna flavor yes it's good that's good she says it's good i haven't tried it Mm -hmm. the well i initially i was doing uh, because we did a lot of um uh, macaroni salad growing up and the kids loved macaroni salad and so when so we went vegan i was like okay i can i can do a version of it and i can make a spin on it and and i and i I'll say that I perfected it and and <laughs> it was, it, everybody was like, yes, yes. Are you making like every Thanksgiving was like, you're making the macaroni salad, right? I'm like, yes, I'm making it. And then I was like, um, I think it was, I think I had, my mother was over one time and she was like, oh, so you don't do use anything for like the tuna. Cause I just omitted the, the, the tuna portion and it was still amazing. And I said, yeah, no, I don't, you know, we don't really need it. We don't, I don't feel like I need, it needs a substitute and, and completely unrelated. I was making, I was uh, baking some jackfruit for a different recipe. And, um, and I, I had, I just had it. I was just kind of playing with different things, different flavors. I think I was using it for like tacos or something. So I was going somewhere different flavor wise and then I added, um, if you see the breakdown of the ingredients for the jackfruit portion um, with the sea seasonings, that kind of has that, it's a seaweed. Uh, um, that's what kind of gives it that- that um, Fishy that, flavor. Yeah, that fishy flavor. But it's so good with it. And when you, and it, when you get, get, when it gets down to that crispiness with it, it's, it adds a nice, um, it just makes it pop. It's, it's the icing on the cake, so to speak, for that recipe, I think. Right. Now, do you normally use canned jackfruit? Have you used fresh? I haven't. I had, we, I usually, my go-to is the Trader Joe's um, jackfruit. Yeah. That's always been the easy one for me. Keyword. Easy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't use it super often. So it's like, but yeah, I mean, if you, if you decide, you know, you want to go fresh, but that's always been the go-to for me. Yeah. And you have to find that now that is something that may not be easy to find. Right, right. So jackfruit is a fruit and it comes from more tropical environments. It's a, it's kind of big and ovally. And if you get it fresh or there are different versions of it. So a lot of canned versions, it's already shredded. 
looks like tuna, shredded tuna, like in a can of tuna. Uh, and it doesn't have much flavor. So you can really add your own flavor, which is great, but it's got a similar meaty flakiness to it. Uh, but sometimes I like the chunkier versions mm -hmm. and they're not always as easy to find. And I, I'm not telling people to run out and buy fresh jackfruit, but <laughs> it, it could be a fun thing to play with because yeah. you can get the different textures that you want. So if you mm -hmm. want a bigger chunk versus a flake, sure. there is that. I, I think we're going to see a lot more coming out with mm -hmm. jackfruit. I think so. Yeah. Okay, Mac and Jack. All right. I mentioned coconut a few times already. You like coconut and I'm thinking, okay, are we going to get to the bacon? And sure enough, <laughs> you have a crispy coconut bacon recipe. Yes. Yes. And paired uh, intentionally right after the cheesy broccoli and potato bake, which is another one of my favorites, a favorite comfort food of mine. Mm. I love it because it goes, you can go savory and sweet with it. You can put it on top of a little bit of ice cream or some, uh, some, some apples. Some, the bacon? The coconut bacon. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you can go savory right. with it. I have it paired in the picture, uh, in the book. It's, it's garnished on top of the, the, the cheesy broccoli and potato bake, but you mm -hmm. can go eat with it. It's just one of those. Yeah. Yeah. I, I became a vegan a long time ago because I didn't want to kill animals. Plain and simple. The health benefit was a bonus. The environmental benefit was a bonus. And it just makes sense. I don't understand why people eat bacon. Mm. Uh, it's a horrifically cruel food. And when we can have coconut bacon, it's a no-brainer. It's got the salty flavor, the sweet flavor. I, I mean, I haven't had bacon in... Probably 45, 50 counting. Bing, bing, a long time. Yeah. Half a century. Uh, but I remember what it tastes like, and I can still smell it in some hotels and places, and it makes me gag. But right. I, I, um, I'm plugging coconut bacon here. Yes. Yes, it's the go-to. I Listen, I would venture to say, if I have people that, that have tried it who are not vegetarian um, and really enjoy it and start making mm -hmm. it and start leaning into that more so then it just hits it hits taste buds cool uh, once again i saw the the coconut cream mixed with the black bean stew you like your coconut cream with your black bean mm -hmm. <laughs> definitely something to try yeah. okay here was something i was surprised mm. i love pesto and there's so many different ways to make pesto without cheese thank you very much it's just uh basil and garlic and anything else you want to add to it sure. but shredded coconut yes <laughs> there's that coconut again in your pesto again yes it's really it, again it's really good i mean you could technically omit it if you wanted to leave it out but it's just again it it's the it's the exclamation point if you will <laughs> <laughs> on it on it it really is and there's even a little bit of i think there's a little bit of coconut or coconut shreds in the kelp noodle pasta as well if i'm not mistaken mm -hmm. not. all but right it, it's the exclamation point the exclamation <laughs> point and you know we should have exclamation points yes. as often as we can right every moment should be wow yeah agreed 
But then if every moment was, wow, I guess, I guess we calibrate and then we'd need a bigger wow. So maybe not wows all the time. <laughs> moderate, moderate the wow. Yeah, because sometimes, sometimes you just want something simple, clean, simple, nourishing, easy, right? Yeah. You know, right. people will complain that vegan food is just brown rice and steamed veggies, and I, I don't, I don't see that anywhere anymore. But right. sometimes it's just all you want; it's just perfect. Agreed. Yeah. Okay, the last recipe I want to bring up, and you're definitely welcome to highlight some others if you want to. Sure. Is your hummus recipe? Uh huh. And it has no coconut. And I want to say I was happy to see that. I'm kind no, of a hummus no. traditionalist, although I don't put oil in my hummus. It's just tahini, chickpeas, garlic, bonzo beans, and uh, lemon juice. And sometimes I'll add cumin or or roasted red pepper. I like to add to my hummus, but um, hummus is a very important food, and it's uh, it's an important food, I think, for everyone. I certainly in the Mid Middle East and Turkey and a variety of countries, they have survived or they have included hummus in their cuisine for centuries. Mm -hmm. And the United States, we kind of jumped on it maybe a few decades ago, and now it's everywhere. And that that's good, because if you're vegan and you go to some party where people aren't plugged in, there typically is hummus. <laughs> there will always be hummus. That's true. But we should be making hummus ourselves at home. I I agree with that. I do. I've had I've had um I've been invited to some of those parties with the um <laughs> store bought hummus. Yeah. And they're listen, it to each its own, but I think when you once you make your own at home and you make this the, like the one in my book, I don't think, you know, in my opinion, I don't think, I don't think you want to go back. I think, and it's not, it's not a complicated recipe. It's easy to pull together and it's just fresher and the flavors are much more alive. The consistency is beautiful. Well, my rant, mm -hmm. and since I'm in a ranting mood today, <laughs> <laughs> I'll apologize. I'm not usually like this. Well, maybe I am and I don't realize it, but hummus, as I mentioned, is traditionally garbanzo beans, olive oil, tahini, and lemon juice and salt. And I personally leave out the olive oil. But if you're going to put oil in hummus, it has to be olive oil. And most of the store-bought hummus does not have olive oil. Read your ingredients. It's got some kind of like vegetable oil, soybean oil, just something that isn't good for you. And it just doesn't taste right. right. I think it should be illegal. I like that. I second that. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I agree. You're right. And that's to your point. That's with a lot of things, um, uh, you know, um, processed foods on the market where you, you know, store bought foods and you look and you're like, that's weird. Why would they add that? <laughs> exactly. So I just a yeah. reminder, read your labels. Your labels. All right. Yeah. So I highlighted all the recipes that I like in your book. Is there one that or two or seven that I didn't I mention that were know. deserve a little credit? Special mentions. They're all they're all they're all really special. And I think you hit you hit on I hit on all the savory and I didn't meet any sweet. So I'm just gonna mention one. 
the the tahini cookies because I love tahini in cookies. You know, I don't like to use uh, oil or uh, sometimes I use vegan butter, but they're made of oils. I prefer to use a whole food as a fat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. And and you'll and if you love tahini, then you'll really enjoy the tahini. And even if you haven't really tried it, because I've had some people oddly that um, were like, "Oh, that's interesting," and I'm like, "It's better than interesting. You need to get." <laughs> <laughs> you know, these cookies they're really good it's like an elevated twist on you know the traditional chocolate chip cookie and it's fun if you want to do the edible roses like it's shown in the picture it just kind of it it adds a nice touch of right they're really that's good something i haven't done edible roses mm -hmm. mm. i love them now is that something that you just discovered on your own or does that come from your background the with the roses no yeah. something sort of uh yeah accumulated along the way yeah i think i don't know if i tried something outside or saw something in a recipe and i was like oh that's fun and so i ended up buying so now i just kind of keep it in the cupboard for when i want to use you know do a little fun garnish or something mm -hmm. yeah put it usually for desserts do people say oh can i eat that I know, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, don't worry, you're good. you're good. Right, right. It's like I didn't pull it from I didn't pull it from the roses in my garden. That's a very different thing, right? <laughs> it's a funny thing, people's reaction to food, right? Mm -hmm. When they see something like a flower, which is just a natural plant, they'll right. cringe. Or even some people's reaction to tofu, which is just <laughs> from soybean, yeah. soybean juice. Mm -hmm. But yet they don't think twice about eating a, a dead animal. Right. Or right. the milk from an animal which was meant for their baby and not our babies. Right. There's a disconnect for sure. Yeah. Yeah, we are funny, aren't we? You said the tofu and it made me think about the uh, the tofu uh, breakfast scramble in the book. Oh, yeah. That's that's really good. Just because I think, like you said, sometimes like that that was sort of the one of the the ancient foundational uh you know foods that kind of come to mind for people are like oh you're vegan so you eat you know broccoli and tofu or lettuce and tofu and and brown rice and it's but but you can do some really amazing things with tofu and tempeh you know to make it you know really really tasty and enjoyable and that recipe is is one of them for sure on sunday i wanted to make a comfort classic breakfast I had the tofu scramble. I had my home fried potatoes and pancakes. Nice. Boom. And it I was like all that. vegan, all organic, made yeah. with whole foods. Yum. I love to hear it. Yes. That sounds really good. I'm a brunch person. I, yeah. I really, I love I'm a brunch person. Yep. Brunch. So, because that's then, where you can mix sweet with savory, right? You yes. can do it anytime, but it, it makes sense at brunch. Definitely. All right, I just wanted to talk a little bit in our last few minutes, if you have a moment, about traveling. Because that, a lot of people are concerned about getting the food that they need when they're traveling. And you've been to over 45 countries, I read somewhere in your bio, yeah. Yes. Uh, with your wonderfully supportive husband, Roger. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and you're in Portugal at the moment. We are in Lisbon, yeah. So tell me about your discoveries with plant food in other countries. It's been, it's been really interesting. We've had, uh, we're, we've had some, some really great, some really, we've been lucky enough, really blessed enough to, to find some really amazing restaurants, um, 
and and restaurant owners along the way mm-hmm. to hear, hear their story and hear about how they started and 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 their their plant-based journey and 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 um and and we feel like we feel like a adopted family um at a lot of these places where we come in and it's like ah oh, i'm looking forward to this this deliciousness that you're that you're about to serve i think uh um one of the one of the most important things that stands out especially when we travel um on longer uh, for longer lengths of time like how we me and my husband are doing right now is to and i'm not and i don't have the ability to be in the kitchen in my own home kitchen to to make food as much on my own is to seek out places that uh that have home cooked meals that cook fresh uh ready mm-hmm. to made to order food um, because everywhere doesn't do that um and and i and i feel you feel it in the i know i feel it in my body absolutely my body, my body responds to it and so so we seek those places out first i think that's one of the, the most important things that we that we look for um when we're traveling to different places and also i i really love when we can find places uh, vegan restaurants that don't just serve the typical um, uh, vegan junk food, if you will, like mm-hmm. oh, nachos and burgers and pizza. Those are fun. Those are fun every now and again. But I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in what your culture does with a vegan spin on it. Like, I want to see what you, th- those are the foods that always excite me and always make me be like, Ooh, that's interesting. And so sometimes I'll try to look up and be like, okay, what was this meal that they were trying to mm-hmm. recreate the, like the local dish and then, and to see the spin on it. And it's even more fun when we, uh, when we get back home and I'm like, Oh, remember that thing that we had? And I'm like, or, or even in, in the actual restaurant, I'm like, my husband will look at me and be like, I think, I think you can do something with this. I think you can probably do. And I'm like, I think so. And, you know, and so my wheels will start turning and, and it's exciting to like get back home and try to, you know, sort of recreate or add my spin to it. My, mm-hmm. my, my interpretation of it. So it's fun in that way food, travel and food and, and just trying different, different things. And it's Absolutely. like, a, it's like a field trip. <laughs> so <laughs> A foodie field trip. Do <laughs> you use happycow.net? Yes, we sure do. We have yeah. the app downloaded. It's been a, it, we use a combination of Google. So I'll usually go into Google Maps and do like a vegetarian or vegan mm-hmm. search of the area. Because sometimes, you know, water, happy cow might not have something that Google will and vice versa. So we'll use a combination of the two and use that as the sort of the base and then start from there and and then I'll bookmark the favorites like, oh, this one, this one gets a revisit. We need to go back here because they had really amazing food. So, yeah. This is where the internet, the World Wide Web is a beautiful thing. Yes. It connects us all and can bring us the joy that we're looking for, like vegan food all over the world. Right. Amen. Favorite countries for vegan food? Mm, favorite countries for vegan food. The first one that pops up in my head is Thailand. Because uh, you like coconut and they use coconut a lot. <laughs> they do. They do. Don't they? Yeah. And for like the coconut curries and things like that. Yeah. I like that. I like how you put that together. <laughs> yeah. A lot of curries, a lot of fresh vegetables. Um, that's that's the one that sticks out the most in my, the, the, the quickest Um yeah. 
Yeah. And that makes me think of your last name. Is there any connection <laughs> with your last name to any of this conversation? <laughs> no, unfortunately not. Right. It's not the Y, it's the I-E. Yes. <laughs> Curry. Yeah. I know, but but I'm I'm happy to, I like the association though. <laughs> I'm not mad at that. Oh, absolutely. You're, you're perfect to be a foodie with a name like Curry. Right. Thailand. I have not been there. I do love Thai food. And I've heard that they... They do have some wonderful food. I, I'm a big fan of London, actually, because they have some amazing vegan restaurants. Okay. Yeah, that's true. And a lot of diverse, a lot of diversity. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Agreed. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great place. Yeah. Mm. I'm just curious, you're in Portugal right now. Is it just because you like to travel? Is there work that brings you there? How How is it that you're able to visit 45 countries? <laughs> Yeah, well, we uh, we visited Portugal first. Uh, the first time we came here was with the with our kids on family vacation in uh, 2019, and we were here for a couple of weeks. We loved it. Mm. Um, we've been to a lot of places in between that time, and we decided we always we so we kept a running list of places that we could maybe see ourselves relocating to. Yes, and so Portugal, Lisbon was always sort of on the top of the list, along with Thailand and a couple of other places. And so we started to, um, we've been talking, me and my husband talking about um, creating hubs in different countries so that we still have a home in the US, but because we love to travel so much, instead of trying to pinpoint, and we love so many places, instead of trying to narrow it down to just one specific location, we're like, we can have, we can, why not create several hubs that we can go to in, in several parts of the world that we have access to get to, you know, mm -hmm. different, region, different regions. Um, and so Lisbon is one of them. And so we're, we're right now trying to, uh, we've been out here for about a month, right, already. And so we're trying to work out the specifics in terms of visas and all of that to, uh, to get residency out here and hang out here for a little bit, a little bit longer. Oh, that's really good to know. Yeah. So I applied for dual citizenship to Portugal. I am I have never been to Portugal, but I took advantage of the Sephardic heritage thing that Spain was offering and then Portugal. Okay. And I'm still waiting to hear. I applied over a year ago. Okay. Uh, but apparently I checked all the boxes. So That's amazing. Um, yeah. I know because I how do I say this? With the political climate in this country, yes. Uh, yes. it's difficult to know where mm. we will be in mm. a year or so. And yes. and um, if things turn in a certain direction, it can it might get really scary. Right. So for some of us liberal, progressive minded thinkers. Sure. And uh, and so we we we're looking at different parts of the world and thinking about where we might want to step our toe for a bit. And so it's good to get some feedback on other countries. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I agree. I feel like we could have me and my husband could have a whole another conver longer conversation. Whole another conversation about, yeah. <laughs> about that. But agreed that that's kind of along the the lines of you know what we've sort of been thinking and focusing on and trying to, and not, not waiting for the shoe to drop to then be like, what are we going to do? So, you know, creating a Be planet. prepared. Yeah. yeah. I will say that I love Aix-en-Provence. I don't know if you've been to the South of France. 
but yes. I lived there in the early 90s as a lone vegan. Mm. And and they did have soy milk in the supermarkets then. <laughs> <laughs> um, but nobody knew what a vegan was. Nobody. Please. And yeah. uh, I, I was on that because they're very meat cheese heavy. Yeah. Yes. But France has changed quite a bit, especially in the big cities. You can find vegan restaurants and vegan offerings all over Paris. Yeah. And they know what the word is. And they used to have their own French word for it, but now they use the word vegan, vegan. Okay. <laughs> uh, but in Aix-en-Provence, they have some wonderful restaurants, including a vegan bakery, Instant V. I want to put out a shout for them because they have the most fabulous vegan croissant and pastries. Not that you want to have them every day, but right. what a wonderful treat. Yes. And uh, I, I could see going back there. Nice. Yes. <laughs> pastries. Like you said, if you're gonna if you're gonna indulge, it should be fabulous. So agreed. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this has really been delightful and I've enjoyed chatting with you about vegan food and coconut and traveling and yeah. <laughs> I've learned a few things. Likewise, yes. Yeah. So thank you for joining me and I wish you all the best with sweet and savory life, simple, flavorful, plant-based recipes to nourish mind, body, and spirit. That comes out March first. Yes, it's available for pre-order right now on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, and Walmart.com. Um, but yeah, the official launch is March the first. Okay, well, safe travels to you and a hug to Roger. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, and uh, and take care. Appreciate you. Thank you for the conversation. Okay. Bye-bye. And while I have you here for a few more minutes, I wanted to talk a little bit about some other cookbooks. You may be aware that Veg News Magazine recently put out an article about the best vegan cookbooks. They listed 100 vegan cookbooks. And of course, that's a really difficult job to do. I'm sitting in front of about 300 vegan cookbooks that I have. And I have never attempted to rank them, but I do know which ones have had the biggest impact on me. And so I thought I, I would share a few of those that did not make the 100 best cookbooks list that I think should have because they're at the top of my list. Some of them are kind of old and just because they haven't been recently published doesn't mean they don't come with lots of valuable information. One of my favorites is The Book of Tofu by William Shirtleff and Akiko Ayagi. Originally published in 1975, there have been numerous revisions, but this was a great cookbook talking about all the things you could do with soybeans. And at the time it came out, it was phenomenally helpful because we didn't have that great access to all of these products like tofu and tempeh and soy milk and a variety of other products. But I still love the cookbook. I love thumbing through it because it has all of these wonderful hand-drawn images of how to do things. Another great cookbook that has influenced my partner, Gary DiMattei, is the Millennium Cookbook, published in 1998 by Eric Tucker and John Westerdahl with desserts by Sasha Weiss. And you may be familiar with the Millennium Restaurant, which originated in San Francisco 
I believe in the early 90s, and it was like the first restaurant of its kind that was high-end vegan. And Eric Tucker was the chef, and now he is the co-owner of the third version of the Millennium Restaurant, which is now in Oakland. And he goes into great detail, valuable detail, about marinating tempeh and so many other great tips. This is not a quick and easy cookbook. This is skills, learning skills in vegan cooking. And then another great cookbook is by Chef Ken Bergeron from 1999, Professional Vegetarian Cooking. Chef Ken Bergeron was the chef for a long time at Vegetarian Summerfest, and he used to prepare all these wonderful meals for everyone who would attend that event. And this book was clearly ahead of its time, and there are some recipes that I still make. I think about this one butternut squash ravioli recipe with a hazelnut filling. Just so wonderful. How many more? Jason Wyrick. He was on this program a number of times with his Vegan Mexico book in 2016, his Vegan Tacos book in 2014. Also, what I loved about his cookbooks is how he goes into detail in history and tradition and how products should be made from scratch. Now, some people aren't interested in that and they'd rather grab a sauce or a variety of sauces to make their homemade dishes. But he gets down to the nitty-gritty, and I just loved it. And then the last one I want to mention before we go, because we're running out of time, <laughs> is The Joy of Vegan Baking by Colleen Patrick Goudreau from 2007. I was really surprised this didn't make the list, Veg News list of 100 best. But what I loved about this is back in the day, I used to use The Joy of Cooking as a reference, and I would veganize all these different recipes in there that I wanted to make. And when the Joy of Vegan Baking came out, it just made it easier for me. I didn't have to think about substitutions. I didn't have to think about how, what I would replace with what. It was all right there in this beautiful cookbook that I still reference from time to time today. So that's my addition to the list of 100 best, and I could keep going. But there are lots of wonderful cookbooks in that long list, and I'm so excited that these cookbooks exist and that they keep coming. Thank you for joining me today on It's All About Food. Grab your vegan cookbooks and have a delicious week.